All right, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 25. We're going to continue our, our series on Jesus in Genesis. So Genesis chapter 25, hope you brought your Bible to keep up. Uh, before we be, uh, as you're turning there, I want to be praying for our nation, and especially the situation we're in right now. Perhaps you're familiar with the Equality Act that is, uh, it's already been voted on last week by the House of Representatives. Now let's go to the other side for them to vote. Uh, folks, please educate yourself on this. Uh, some of you are very well versed on it. Others, it's going to catch you by surprise. Um, and, and I'm sure there'll be voices who say, oh, we're getting so political. Uh, perhaps the same voices who in a, the years to come are going to say, what just happened to my country? Uh, others will say, hey, let's get more biblical. So I want to clarify something. Uh, a few weeks ago, we were talking about Noah and how he was a preacher of righteousness. And I said, well, if you're not preaching righteousness, what do you preach? And one of them was, uh, well, you, you preach peace uh, or you preach equality. And I clarified that by saying, you know, between blacks and whites, between men and women, meaning equal pay, equal work. I want to distance myself as far as possible from this, this uh, bill on equality because it is a, an agenda that is a, uh, an aggressive agenda of the liberals wanting to promote transgenderism and the LGBT community and all that to where they're taking power away from parents, eventually churches and stuff. I'm, I'm encouraging you, please educate yourself on it. Please call your uh, Congress people to say, I, I'm against this. I'm really against this, all right? Now, Romans 8. Oh, somebody liked it. Romans 11, 8. Guys, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's really time to, to uh, check that out. But I believe what's happening to America is what happened to Israel, and it describes in, in Romans 11. We're, after Easter, we're going to go into the book of Romans. And in Romans verse 8, or 11 verse 8, it says, God poured out on them. He's given them a spirit of stupor, meaning the nation Israel. I believe that's what's happened to America now. I believe that a spirit of stupor has, has been poured out upon our nation. How else can you explain our borders being open? Thousands are coming across. We have no idea of what diseases they might be bringing in or what agendas they might be bringing in because it's not just Mexicans, it's people from other nations funneling in through there. And we have, there's no accountability. People are gonna wake up when their taxes are increased to cover this cost. But I believe America has this spirit of stupor. We, we basically don't know right from wrong anymore. My wife is super encouraging. I, that's why I married her, one of the reasons. She's cute too and could cook. But, uh, I like that she goes, hey, don't you think God's going to use this to wake up Christians? Don't you think he's going to use this to stir us up, to be salt and light? And I, I agree, hopefully. My, the bottom line for me, the thing that gives me encouragement is this last one. God is in control. If you don't know Jesus, I don't know what you do because Jesus is the prince of peace. He's in control we are in the end times. It's getting excited. So can we stand and pray for our nation? Probably can't hold hands anymore in this COVID stuff, but maybe you're with your spouse or family. You can with them.
Father, this nation was started on Christian principles, on principles in your Bible. And Lord, we have strayed. Some have fallen asleep. Some are really, as long as they have a check, a paycheck, they're happy. But we're concerned, Lord. We want to remain free to worship you, to believe what we believe, to say what your word says. Father, we ask for mercy. We ask for your spirit to be poured out upon this land and that we could uh, experience revival once again. We see no other solution. Help us, Lord. Help, and help us to be light and salt. Help us to fulfill our calling as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, pleading with people to get right with you. Give us the words as we step out. Give us the fruit as we share. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh. I thought there was another prayer request. <laughs> it's a silver Dodge Ram pickup. Large American flag in it in front. Alarm is going off. So that's obviously somebody. How about this? As you're sitting down, praise God from whom? Amen. Praise him, all creatures here below. Raise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. All right, guys. Again, we are in chapter 25 of Genesis. Here's the quiz we start with because Jacob is known as the deceiver. So the quiz is, who is the easiest person in the world to deceive? Anybody know? It's myself. I always think, I got this under control. I can handle this. I'm, I'm deceiving myself. So we, we usually end with Jesus in Genesis. Now we're going to begin with Jesus in Genesis because uh, we want to see this all throughout this, uh, this uh, sermon today. One of our church plants that we helped Planet Church in, in Mililani was called, it's called Calvary Chapel Central Wahoo. I think now it's Calvary Chapel Mililani. But when Rick Irons first went up there and planted it, he said, you know what? This is our theme. Jesus changes hearts. And what he's saying is Jesus, people come to Jesus often with a, a hardened heart, a, a hurtful heart, a damaged heart, a bruised heart, a self-centered heart. And Jesus changes them into hearts that are healed and whole and, and healthy and even others-centered. So we want to keep that in mind because this account of Jacob and Esau is all about getting blessed, blessed by God himself. Now, they each, early on, they each wanted the blessings of God, notice, without having a relationship with God. It's common today, too. It's called prostitution. Because in prostitution, when a guy solicits a girl, He's not interested in the girl. He's interested in what the girl can give him. So spiritual prostitution, it, this might be harsh, but what it's saying is, God, I don't want you. I just want what you can give me. Don't try to give, tell me I'm in sin. Don't try and lead me. You know, just bless me and leave me alone. Spiritual prostitution 
God, I don't want you so much. I just want what you can give me, peace, blessings, and all that kind of stuff. So here we are in Genesis chapter 5. Here's the background. Remember Isaac? <laughs> Remember Isaac and Rachel or Rebecca? Because last week, I have a short circuit. Maybe you guys have that. I get Rachel and Rebecca mixed up all the time. And so I kept calling Rebecca Rachel last week. Uh, it's just this short circuit I have. Pastor Chuck Smith had one with Moses and Noah. So I'm in the right club, I guess. And I really appreciate the 900 of you who came up after the sermon and corrected me. And uh, <laughs> nobody, you were very gracious. No one patted me on the head. <laughs> Poor old geezer. You know, but anyway, I get him mixed up. So it's, I got to look at my notes. It's Isaac and Rebecca and then Jacob and Rachel. All right, so Isaac, he married Rebecca at 40 years old, or he was 40. So 19 years later, there's no kids. So he prays this. I'm reading from the New King James, uh, be, uh, chapter 25 of Genesis, beginning in verse 21. Sometimes I can't even see it up here. Okay. Uh, Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah conceived. Well, we know she conceived twins, and then she starts praying, verses 22 and 23, so we continue. But the children struggled with, uh, uh, together within her, and she said, hey, if everything is all right, what's going on? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So here's a gal in the Old Testament pleading, and God answers her prayer. Uh, it's one thing to have, you have enough trials with one pregnancy, a pregnancy of one child, twins, and now the twins are fighting over each other, but he gives Rachel a promise, or Rebecca a promise, and he says, the older shall serve the younger. We have to remember that throughout this, this uh, sermon. The older is going to serve the younger, meaning the firstborn, Esau, is going to end up serving the, the, the younger brother. So here's the birth. goes on. Uh, verse 24. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. <laughs> I'm sorry. This just sounds like a really ugly baby. I'm sorry. Uh, came, and, and if you were born red and hairy, it's nothing personal, okay? But he comes out red, and uh, he was like a hairy garment all over. So they named his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Now, Isaac was 60 years old when he bore them. So... Here comes Jacob at birth. Okay, we're going to name him Jacob. And it means literally heel catcher because he had the, whole, the heel of his brother as they came out uh, one at a time. So it really means deceiver or how about this, cheater or in our vernacular, ripoff. Because this sermon is how does God take someone who's a ripoff and turn him into someone who's a blessing? So what we have is a family divided. Look at this. Now Jacob... Uh, verse 29. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, the boys grew, verse 27. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. 
but Rebecca loved Jacob. So we have a divided family. It's never healthy, very dysfunctional family. The dad, or Isaac, favors Esau. He's a man's man. He knows how to hunt. He's, he, he's a leader. He's naturally gifted. Look at him. I just love this firstborn son of mine. See, the promise, this older will serve the younger, was given to the wife, was given to Rebecca. I don't think Isaac ever acknowledged the promise. I don't think he ever liked it because he favors the older boy. So Rebecca, the mom, favors Jacob, the, the second one, because he's a gentleman. He knows how to make great salads, all right? Now, when it says the older shall serve the younger, so Esau, the, the firstborn, shall serve Jacob, here's why it's so radical. It means that the future Messiah would come from the lineage of Jacob, the secondborn, not through the lineage of Esau, which had radical spiritual implications. So before we get into how the change comes about, we have to see there's two ways that that uh, Jacob rips off his brother. First, he rips off his birthright. The firstborn had the birthright. He would receive twice as much as the rest of the kids. So in this case, Isaac has three boys, or uh, two kids, so it divided up three ways. Two parts would go to the, the one with the birthright. Only one part would go to the secondborn. So Isaac, um, I'm sorry, Jacob, you know what's going to happen. It's like when my wife, we're watching a movie, and suddenly she hits a point, she goes, there's too many characters, I'm getting lost. Hopefully you don't get lost like I do. So Jacob cooks a stew, verse 29. And Esau comes in from the field, and he was weary, and, and Esau says to Jacob, please feed me with some of that red stew, for I'm hungry, I'm weary. There his name was uh, Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright. As of this day, Esau, the man's man, says, look, I'm about to die. I'm starving to death. Oh, what, what's a birthright to me? So Jacob said, well, swear to me this day. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright uh, to Jacob. Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and he ate and drank, arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So here's what's going on. He comes in, he goes, look, the man's man says, I'm starving. I'm, I've been a man's man, I've been hunting all day. You've been out here, you know, cooking your soup. Just give me some of that soup. His brother says, I'll give you the soup. Give me your birthright. He goes, I'm, look, I'm starving to death. What, who cares about all that stuff? Who cares about that spiritual stuff? Who cares about the stuff of eternity? I'm a here and now guy. I just know what's right in front of me, so the stew's in front of me, give me that. I don't care about the birthright. Is that okay? So he rips him off of his birthright. Second rip off, now it's his blessing, dad's blessing of his choice. Okay, so now we're in chapter 27, and remember, we're doing this in broad strokes. Jacob covers more of the Bible, more of Genesis than anybody else. Starts in 25, ends in 50. So it's like his uh, photo album is a lot, has a lot more pictures than the other guys in Genesis. So he's a lot to cover here. Now it came to pass, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 27, when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim he couldn't see that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, here I am. 
Now, behold, now I'm old, and I know that I don't know the day of my death. So, uh, please take your weapons, your quiver, your bow, and go out, get me a deer, you know, and make some savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, and that my soul may bless you. I'm after. See, he's still favoring his older son. He's not clinging to the promise of God who says the older is going to serve the younger, he's still saying, no, you know what? Forget your mom. Forget your brother. We're going to do this because I know the birthright should really go, the blessing should really go to you, the firstborn, so I'm going to bless you. Now, maybe you're familiar with this story. So Rebecca's overhearing all this, right? Verse 4, Rebecca is listening to Isaac, or verse 5. She hears all this, so she tells her son, okay, now you're going to go get it. Look at what she says in verse 14. My son, obey my voice. And according to what I command you, go now to, to the flock, bring me two choice lamb, kids of the goats, and I'll make savory food uh, from them for your father, such as he loves. And you shall take your father, take it to your father, and he'll eat, and he'll give you the blessing. So here's this conniving going on back and forth. Remember, they're a divided family. She's clinging to the promise. But she can't figure out how God's going to accomplish the, problem, the promise without her intervention. And, and so here's, she's the instigator. I'm not sure what happened to godly moms in this one. You know, instead of just pouring God's word into her, she's going, okay, how can we figure out a way to accomplish God's blessing in this? Now he goes, well, mom, what if I seem to be a deceiver to dad? which is a joke. You know, the, son, the older brother had hairy arms, so she's like, oh, we'll put some lamb's wool on your arms and, you know, we'll dress you up in his clothes so you smell like him. But the joke is, what if I seem to be a deceiver? She should have said, son, you are a deceiver. Your name is Jacob. You're the heel catcher, the deceiver, the ripoff. And so he goes into his dad and, you know, brings the food, and it's one lie after another. So he said, we're, we're skipping down now to verse 18. So he went to his father and said, my father, here I am. Who are you, my son? Uh, Jacob said, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I've done just as you told me. Please arise, sit down and eat of my game so that your soul may bless me. And Esau said to, or Isaac said to his son, how, how is it that you found it so quickly? He said, notice this, because the Lord, your God, brought it to me. What a lie. He's, he's compounding things. It's, if you go through this one lie after another, and uh, oh, now he's bringing the Lord into it. So Isaac says, please come near me. I, I feel, I can feel you, my son, whether you're my son Isaac or not. So he's got radical doubts that this is truly his, his favorite son. So Jacob went near, and, and, and Isaac felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's. But the hands are, are Esau. He didn't recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother. So he said, are you really my son? Yeah, of course I am. And then bring near, and he gives them the blessing. And it's the blessing of blessings. It's the blessing of the firstborn. So then along comes, well, first, it seems that Isaac, I'm sorry, it seems that Jacob always wanted his dad's blessing. And it seems like here he wanted his dad's blessing, but at the same time, he knew that his dad favored his older brother. 
Maybe you grew up in a family like that, that you're thinking, I'm trying to please my mom and my dad, but I know they favor someone else more. And it's just not fair. I, that's who, this is who I am. This, I didn't have any, anything to say when I'm born or how I'm born or who I'm born is. And, but all his life he knew dad liked his brother better. He always searched for his dad's blessing. Then he had to get it through Ribrov. So in comes Esau. He's got his game. Say it's a deer or whatever. He fixed it. Jacob barely gets out of there with the blessing. Esau comes in, doesn't see him. And he goes, here I am, Dad. You can bless me. And it says in verse 20 or 33 that Jacob trembled exceedingly. Who, who are you? And who's the guy I just blessed? Now, I always thought he trembled exceedingly because he knew he was deceived by Jacob. But perhaps he trembled exceedingly because he was caught trying to go around God's promise. God said, I'm going to bless the secondborn. He said, oh, no, let's go around that. I wanted to bless the firstborn. And now he realizes he's been busted. He's been found out. So then Esau, the man's man, says, oh, well, Dad, don't you yeah, only have one blessing? Why don't you bless me also? Bless me also. And he goes, well, he gave him such a minor blessing compared to what he gave Jacob. Just, just a minor thing. So then he goes, isn't that guy rightly named Jacob? Isn't he rightly named heel catcher, deceiver, ripoff? He's, he's ripped me off twice now. Now in Hebrews, when it's talking about this part of, of Esau's life, he said, you know, he cried. He cried desperately for things to change, but there was no undoing of this promise. Now, that's our... That's the two, two ways he ripped off. Now we ask the question, how does God fashion a guy who's a ripoff into a guy who's a total blessing? And we want to just look at four ways real quick. They're, I call them game changers. They're, they're things that God puts along in our path. We got to go through it. We can't dance around it or skip over it. He puts these game changers in our lives to get our attention. The first one is run for your life. So what happens uh, in this run for your life? We're in Genesis 27. And now that Isaac did, the, or uh, Jacob did the damage, he's got the blessing, he's got the birthright. But his mom says, you know what? Your brother Esau hates what you have done. And he actually comforts himself by thinking of ways to kill you. Oh, he meditated. Now, Psalm 1 says, meditate on the Word of God. But this guy, no, he meditates. He's just dreaming. Should I hang him? Throw a spear? Bow and arrow? Just think maybe all the above? Now, I, I, I think you're, maybe you get angry at people. I mean, you say, well, I don't murder anybody. But do you want to kill them by publicly shaming them? You know, when someone burns you, it's not only natural to go, man, I'm... If I had the chance and just begin to rehearse ways of burning them back. So here, he was dreaming of ways that he could kill his younger brother. So in chapter 28, we get into one of the biggest things that happened in his life. He, he runs for his life. He finds, he's in Bethel, which means house of God, in the land of Israel. And he's tired. He finds a rock or a stone for a pillow. I've gone through several pillows in my life, <laughs> tried all these. 
I've never tried sleeping on a stone, on a rock, but he has this dream, all right? And, and so in the dream, in verse 12, Genesis 28, behold, he, he dreams about a ladder. Behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there were angels of God that were ascending and descending on it. So this is the opposite of the Tower of Babel. Remember, Babel was trying to build a, a tower that goes up to heaven. This is the opposite. It's heaven coming down, back and forth, up and down, uh, ministering to those on earth. So then God gives this grace in action. Remember, the only reason Jacob is there is because he's running for his life, because he's a thief. He's a ripoff. He does not deserve the grace of God. So here's what God says in verse 13. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, so above the ladder, I'm the Lord God of Abraham, your father, God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. So again and again, we read in the scriptures, the land of Israel belongs to the Jews. End of story. And also I will uh, give your, your, also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. This is the guy who doesn't have a kid yet. So you're going to have as many, like, like Abraham, you're just going to have a ton. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, north and south, and the earth shall be blessed. All the fam- in you, all the, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you. What? I'm running for my life. I'm a ripoff. No, I'm with you. I will keep you wherever you go, and I'll bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I have spoken to you. What a work of grace. Here's a promise given to a guy running for his life, living a lie, and he's a ripoff. He does not, like me and you, doesn't deserve to hear this promise from God. God said, I'll never leave you. I'm going to bring you right back to here. So he ends up saying, surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't even know it. Guys, we'll come back to this in a bit, to where maybe there's a point in your life where you say, huh, surely the Lord was with me. I didn't even know it. I was just aware of my sin. I was aware of my rebellion of running from God. I mean, I don't even have a bed. I have a rock for a, a pillow, and yet God speaks in those moments. So... The first game changer was run for your life. And he receives a promise. He sees the ladder. The second game changer is now love is in the air. And along comes Rachel. Not Rebecca, Rachel this time. So love is in the air. In Genesis chapter 29, Rachel enters the picture. And this poor boy is smitten. He absolutely loves this gal. He will do anything for her but he has no money, he has nothing. So he offers her her dad, who by the way is his uncle, Uncle Laban. He goes, I tell you what, I'm in love with your second born daughter. I will work seven years for her and at the end of seven years, I'll marry her. Uncle Laban goes, that's a deal, free labor, I'm down. So, what, this is what kills me. It's one of the best scriptures in the Bible about love. So in Genesis 29, verse 20, it says, So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. Notice this. And they seemed only a few days to him because of his great love for her. He said, now, 
here's, here's what I'm thinking about. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love is patience. Love is patience. So, ladies, if you're dating some guy who's always on fast forward and trying to get this relationship to a place where it shouldn't be, or guys, if there's a lady in your life always on fast, hey, come on, let's go, let's go. To, you go, wait, wait, wait. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't seek its own ways. And it blows my mind that here he's going, that woman is so beautiful. For seven years, seven Christmases, seven birthdays, seven Thanksgiving, whoa. And he goes, yeah, just for me, looking back seven years is quick, okay? Looking ahead seven years to 2000, what is that, 18, 28? That's a long time away. And he goes, it's worth it for my love for her. So then what happens? Remember, Rachel's a package deal. Her dad was Jacob's uncle, Laban. And Laban is a ripoff. He's a deceiver. So in this part of Genesis, we read there's two ways that Laban rips off his, his own son-in-law. First, he deceives Jacob with Leah, the sister. Now, if you're familiar with the story, seven years are fulfilled. He goes, hey, seven years, time for a wedding. And Laban goes, yes, right on, it's time for a wedding. Now, obviously, their weddings were pretty rip-roaring because they go in to consummate that marriage, and the next morning, Jacob wakes up, and it's not his loved one. It's not Rachel. It's her older sister, Leah. And he goes to Laban, what have you done? What have you, you switched them on me. I thought I was marrying Rachel. Well, we have a culture. We have a custom here. The older has to get married first. But work another seven years and we'll give you the other one as well. So it's interesting, the, the deceiver gets deceived. The second way is he changed, in 20 years' time, Laban changes Jacob's wages 10 times. If he said, this is how I'll pay you, and then God blesses, okay, now this is how, I'm not, I want God's blessing, I don't want God, I just want, to, I want the blessing. He kept changing his wages, uh, trying to get, get blessed. But here's the bottom line. The deceiver, Jacob, is deceived by Uncle Laban, his father-in-law. Jacob, God gave Jacob a taste of his own medicine. Now, before you go, oh, it's karma. Bible has nothing to do with karma. We deal with grace. Karma is getting exactly what you deserve. Grace is getting what I don't deserve. Now, this is just God's way of saying, I know how to get Jacob's attention. He, he's gossiping, let others gossip about him. Let him find out how that tastes. He's ripping off, let him get ripped off. See how, how much he likes that. So here, at the end of the story, Jacob and his family. Now, by now, he's got two wives, two concubines, at least 11, well, 11 sons, and there's at least one daughter that we know of. His last son was born just a bit later. So this is where the 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. It all goes back to Jacob. So here's another one. How does God fashion a ripoff into a blesser? Remember the game changers he puts in the way. The first one was run for your life. There's something that you're going to fear. The next one was love is in the air. Now we get even stiffer. Now he's going to wrestle with God in the dark. And so now we turn to uh, chapter 32, 
of Genesis where it says, you know, you ever read, see this first verse? Chapter 32. It says, Jacob went his way and the angels of God met him. There's not much said about that. We're not sure how that worked out, how he recognized them, all oh, their angels. It, it just, something supernatural was up in the beginning of this chapter, chapter 32. So he sends out some messengers. He's like, I, I, uh, I'm trying to reconcile with my brother. I know he hates me. He's trying to kill me. Uh, so he sends out messengers. Hey, uh, your brother's coming this way. The messengers come back and say, oh, Esau, he's ready to meet you. He's got 400 people with him. You don't bring 400 people to say, how's it? He's thinking, 400, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill everything I have. So he enters this wrestling match. Well, first he starts praying to God. And his prayer reveals a lot has happened in his heart. He is well on his way from being a ripoff to a blessing. So in this prayer, he says, Lord, I'm not worthy of the least of all your mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. Finally, this man is saying, I'm not just trying to grab all I can. I'm realizing in grace, I don't deserve this. And he basically says, help, I'm scared. Okay, he goes on, he quotes God's promise. Remember, God promised him, look, I know what I'm doing. You go there, I am gonna bring you back here. I will bring you back. So then, Jacob sends a gift to his, his brother Esau after he prays. Look at this gift. Now, I'm not saying you should do this, but I want to learn from it. So he lodged there that same night and came and took what came to his hand as, um, as a present for Esau's brother. Here's the present. 200 female goats and 20 male goats. That sounds like a lot to me. Then it goes uh, 200 ewes and 20 rams, so those sheep, and 30 milk camels, mom camels, with their colts, 40 cows and 10, man, this is gonna be a big cookout, 20, and, uh, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. He delivered them to his servants. And he said, you know what, I want you to go up there a little at a time. So the brother goes, wow, what's all this? Oh, it's from Jacob, you know? And then the next company of them comes along. And so Jacob is left alone and it says he wrestles with a man. You'll notice in your Bible, man is capitalized. Meaning what we believe this is, it's a theophany, an Old Testament appearance of God, or a Christophany, more accurately, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Where's Christ in Genesis? He's wrestling. He's wrestling uh, Jacob. So he wrestles him in the dark, and it goes all night long, this wrestling match. And it represents wrestling with God in, in prayer. Now, people today go, yeah, I'm really wrestling with God. But what they're really meaning is, I'm uh, rebelling against God. No, this is like, no, 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 I'm wrestling for your blessing. I'm wrestling for your answer, your solution, what you want to do in my life. So it, all night long, the sun's coming up. The angel, the, the man, says, let me go. And he won't. So he, uh, he touches his hip and puts his hip out of socket for the rest of his life. So the rest of Jacob's life, I picture him with a, a, a crutch or something or just a severe limp for the rest of his life because of this wrestling match. Then Jacob says, no, because remember the man said, let me go. Son's coming up. He goes, no, 
I won't let you go unless you bless me. This is what's so significant about that. Jacob had come to the place where the blessing of God meant more to him than life itself. He, you think about it. You saw his gift, right? Massive. A lot of money, a lot of gifts. And he thought, you know what? I got the marriage. I, I got the gifts. I got the possession. But I want to be blessed by you. I, none of this matters. You know, I won't let you go until you bless me. And so finally he comes to that point that God wanted him to be all along. Let's, hey, your blessing means more to me than life itself. So the man says, uh, okay, so what's your name? You think there's a hesitation? Oh, here we go again. What's my name? It's, it's Jacob. We hear Jacob in English. He heard heel catcher. I'm, I'm the deceiver. I'm the cheater. I'm the ripoff. What's your name? Look, I'm a ripoff. I'm an old man by now. I'm a ripoff. This is more of a confession. Hey, what's your name? You got time? I got a lot to confess. I, uh, I have no right to be blessed by you. What's your name? Mike. Ripoff. Deceiver. So really, all of that's about to change. He's going to change his name to Israel. It means God fights. But really, a, a name change represents a change of heart, a change of character, a change of identity. He said, no, you're no longer a ripoff. You're, you're going to be a blessing to others. And so here's what happens. That limp, why the limp as he goes the rest of his life I mean, after a while, you go, okay, Excedrin's not doing anything. Tylenol's not doing anything. Nothing's doing anything. Why the limp? Why the pain? Well, it's a reminder that God has taken this guy who was a ripoff and turned him into a blessing. It was a reminder, like Paul, why the thorn in the flesh? I prayed three times. God, just take it away. God says, no, no, no. My strength is sufficient. My strength really it shows itself in your weakness. You're going to, every time you remember that, you're going to remember giving your life to Jesus Christ or giving your life to the Lord. So here's the last one. The game changes. Remember the first one? Run for your life. The second one? Love is in the air. Rachel. The third one? He just finished wrestling with God in the dark. The fourth one's the quickest one. Reconciliation with your brother. You know the brother you ripped off. The brother, you need to ask for forgiveness. It's easier if the brother ripped me off. If he needs to ask me for forgiveness, that I'd be in control, if you will. But no, no, no. You ripped him off. You need to ask him for forgiveness. So in chapter 23 or chapter 33, we have the, the, the reconciliation. Now, I don't know about you. I'm really not good in confrontations. I know people who are the scrappers, I call them. They gotta get it done right now, and I'm just amazed at them. Like, I I would rather, you know, I live right there. If somebody is waiting for me a block away here, I'd rather drive around the island to avoid. I just I don't like confrontations. I don't like these the awkwardness and the feeling that oh, it's so weird and it's my fault. And and maybe he thought that was a long time ago. That was 20 years ago. Come on, I bet he forgot all about it. No, he didn't, and God didn't either. God said, go, go to your brother. 
Some of the deepest works of God are accomplished in relationships here on earth. It could be right now you're thinking of, okay, I know who the Holy Spirit's singling out for me to work something out with. Just don't take 20 years to do it. They did reconcile. They, they loved on each other. They hugged, they kissed. It was pre-COVID so they could do that. So here's what we get out of it. The man who was a ripoff was now a blesser. And even next week, we'll see as we end Genesis, this is the same Jacob who goes on to pronounce a blessing to all his sons, all and, and even beyond. He is known at the end to be the blesser. Where's Jesus in Genesis? We started with spiritual prostitution, right? That, it, this, that heart that says, God, I don't want you. I want what you can give me. Maybe that was blunt and, and kind of like an uppercut, but maybe it spoke to you. And maybe, you know, truth, truth be told, I hate when God points out sin in my life. I hate when he says, follow me. I don't want to follow him. I got my own life. It could be you're here this morning. You have no intention of following him. No intention of receiving his command of keeping it clean or honoring him in everything you do. You just, no, 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 just bless me, Lord. Let's forget the other stuff. That's spiritual prostitution. Uh, that's no way to live. I was once asked this question. And it was a long time ago. We were still back at Waimea Falls Valley and uh, under the tent. And a gal came up to me who was fairly new in, in, as a Christian. And she asked me, how long do I have? And I'm looking at, what are you talking about? How, how, what do you mean, how long do I have? How long do I have till I become like so many others? Who? what a rebuke to the church. You know what she's talking about? She went on, she goes, how long till I lose my joy? How long till I talk more about shopping than about my savior? How long until the first love is gone? How long till I show up like a sourpuss? How long do I, I, I act like there's God's not in my life, he's not on the throne? How long do I have? Well, in context here, you go, you know what? Just keep responding to his game changers. Because game changers keep you up to date with your Savior. Game changers, whether it's run for your life or love is in the air or a night of rest and prayer with God, keep up with those things. If it's reconciliation with someone, how long do I have? She moved to the mainland a long time ago. I wonder how she's doing. So in John chapter 1, verse 51, Jesus compares himself to, to Jacob's ladder. Remember when we read, he falls asleep, he has this dream. He saw that ladder that goes between heaven and earth. Jesus said, well, I'm the ladder, meaning I'm the only way to heaven. Meaning there's times in my life, there's times in your life where you're going to go, wow, surely the Lord is in this place. I didn't even know it. That's the Jacob's ladder experience where you wake up and you go, I've been in sin. I've been running from God. I, I, I've just messed up my life royally. I thought if anyone gets kicked out of his family, it's me. And here God says in his grace and mercy, this is what I'm going to do in your life. What? Where all you're aware of was circumstances and difficulties and trials and all this stuff and you're just spent and all of a sudden God shows up and says something, gives you a promise and you go, 
well, God was here the whole time. I, I didn't even know it. It's, it can be said of you today. I look at, okay, in a, in a group this size, come on, we got it all, right? There, there's some of you brand new to all this. Some of you have heard this a million times. Some are freshly in love. Some are freshly out of love. Some are wrestling with God, some, wherever you are. And, and you get to the point where I don't see God moving anymore. I don't see how he can move anymore. And then you have a revelation. God's here the whole time. I didn't even know it. He's taken everything and turning it into a Romans 8.28 where he's using everything to work together for my good. God's in this place. You know what? For some of you, this is what you need to rehearse from this sermon. Wherever you are, whatever he has you doing, wherever you've been and running from him to that realization, God is here all along. I just didn't know it. What a way to relax in him. What a way to rest in him and to, to seek strength and guidance and the assurance. Okay, God's here. I just didn't know it. Remember Rachel was a package deal and the deceiver, Jacob, gets deceived by his uncle, by her dad. And God said, I'm gonna give you a taste of your own medicine. You need to understand how this feels. You need to understand how damaging you've been to other relationships. And so it's like the classic movie where partway through it, everything's turned around and the guy who's been such a jerk all of a sudden has something happen to him where he goes, is that the way I've been treating everybody? Has this mini Rebbe? Well, here's the bottom line. Jesus knows exactly how to reach my heart. Whatever, whatever it takes. And you know what? Honestly, to reach my heart is going to be different than what he does for you. But he knows what it takes to reach your heart. How about this? Some of the deepest works of God are accomplished in personal relationships. And maybe you thought, oh gosh, I really got to go to that one person that I ripped off. That I need to ask for forgiveness. I don't know if you heard the testimony of Daryl Strawberry. The uh, former New York Met won the World Series with uh, Sid Fernandez from Hawaii. Remember that? Remember those days? And uh, he's been on the radio interviewing with Greg Laurie recently, Pastor Greg, and saying, hey, my dad beat me as a kid, had a really hard life, gets saved later on. And one night the Lord says, you need to go to your dad and ask for forgiveness. And he laughed. <laughs> Really? Isn't it the other way around? He beat me. He always told me I wouldn't amount to anything. And all this and that. And, no, no, you need to ask for forgiveness. He calls his wife. She says, you need to do what God says to do. He went to his dad and asked for forgiveness. Total reconciliation happened. God did a major move on those people's hearts. How much does the Bible tell us to command, command us to love one another? A lot. I mean, you know... There's some people that, well, it says it 37 times. We better do it. If it says it once, I, I need to do it, right? It says it a lot. Just don't take 20 years like it did for Jacob, 20 years to come around. Here's how, this is how we end. And the worship team can come back up. But 2000, remember Jacob. Now he's going back to the promised land, to Canaan land. 
He ends up in a place called Samaria at one time, and he digs a well. Some 2,000 years later, Jesus goes to Samaria and goes to Jacob's well. And that's where he met the woman at the well. And uh, he told her every, remember? She said, oh, go call your husband. I'm not married. Well, I guess technically you're not. You've been married X amount of times. You're living in sin right now. Wow. He said, if you let, let me drink, drink from my living water, you'll never thirst again. What a promise. And that woman, her life was changed by one encounter with Jesus Christ. Here's how it applies to us. We can think we got it all, all figured out. I don't know if you ever talk to someone and they go, well, when I die, I'm going to work things out with God. That's too late. He's given you your entire lifetime to figure it out right now. And it comes down to, I can't make it into heaven on my own. I'm a sinner. I was created in God's image, but I have marred that image ever since through sin. And I'm thirsty. Spiritually thirsty. It, it's the grace of God to be spiritually thirsty. To be spiritually hungry. It's the grace of God that he's doing this awakening in my heart that I need forgiveness. I need to get right. And here's Jesus saying, turn to me. You'll never thirst again. She not only turned to him, she went back to her village and went over the entire village to Jesus Christ. How does God turn a ripoff into a blessing? By sending those game changers along the way we have to respond to him in order to end up the way he wants us to be. Father, we, uh, I don't think we're a bunch of ripoffs, but no one here is perfect. We definitely have our moments, times of rebellion. And surely your Holy Spirit used your word this morning to point out an area in my life and other lives that needs attention now. Before we leave here, before we forget, please imprint that on our hearts. We want to respond to those game changers. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.